1998, when I was seven years old, a young Michael Owen took the World Cup by storm. And in the same year, my baby brother looked up at me as I was standing on the stairs and said, hello, for the first time. In 2003, I arrived at high school and one of the year nine stole my wallet on the first day and then gave it back saying, don't let your wallet hang out your pocket. It will get nicked. By the way, that year nine is now the successful owner of a drinking game business and my wallet was never stolen again. In 2008, I arrived late at a new school and introduced myself to a bewildered class saying, hi, I'm Ben. One of the people listening in that class was Miss Holly Ward, and that was the first time we met. Holly is now my wife. In 2014, I said thanks to my grandfather for driving me to the airport, and that was probably the last time we hugged goodbye properly. Our lives are ch charted by initial and last conversations. Human progress is often mapped by the start of communication and the first words of encounter across cultures and space. In Uruk, for example, later known as Babylon, in the 4th millennium BC, the Lord of Kublai patted some clay and put some words on it like a tablet because his messenger couldn't repeat the message. And this was the first known example of written text. Later in the Bronze Age came the Egyptians. Now, I presume you've all stained paper and made Egyptian hieroglyphs on fake papyrus. If not, you've probably got that to look forward to. In the Iron Age, the Phoenicians then created an alphabet, which formed the Aramaic and Greek alphabets, which in turn became the basis of most of those alphabets you learnt as children. Around 1440, Johannes Gutenberg created the printing press, and that revolutionised means of communication. In 1878, Alexander Graham Bell said to his assistant, Mr Watson, come here, I want to see you. Probably in a Scottish accent, I imagine. Only this, for the first time ever, was a conversation via telephone. And in 2010, Lady Gaga couldn't hear someone calling on her phone because she was kind of busy in the club but had no service. She also had a drink in her hand, so she couldn't text. Our sense of who we are is so often defined by the conversations we have had what we say about ourselves, how we speak to others, and who we get to speak to or listen to us to matters for how we form identities. And in that process, the voice of Jesus, what he says to us, who he says we are, and who we say he is, will transform us. This series is about that speaking Jesus, the Jesus that talks, not the abstract historical figure, but the conversation on living, breathing Jesus that you can have relationship with right now. This is about conversational close-up magic. Have you ever spoken to Jesus in prayer? Have you ever prayed at some point, maybe just to a higher being or to a sense of God? When was the first time that happened? When was the first time either you spoke to Jesus or that greater sense of something out there? What was the conversation like? How, do you, how did it begin? Do you remember it? Were you a child? Were you older? Right now in your watch parties or on your own, either think about this or talk about when was that first time you had a conversation with God? The screen will go black and there'll be a countdown and I'll just do a dance break.
This is the first in our series of Jesus Talks. And the point of this talk is to remind us that Jesus is speaking to us today. First, we're going to look at why Jesus is speaking to us. Then we'll look a little bit at how. That'll be expanded on the other talks, but we're going to look at how through the Bible, through his church and through his Holy Spirit, Jesus is speaking to us. Because he's not just a nice historical figure with some good teaching from the past. The basis and point of faith is that he's alive today and we can have relationship with him. Not relationship with the abstract idea of an ancient person, with the breathing person of God who knows you. And as a kid's song puts it, loved you since before the world began. So let's find out how you are part of his amazing plan. Let's look at John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. But in fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Keep that open in front of you, we'll be coming back to it. Whose voice do you trust? And this passage um, in John's Gospel comes shortly after Jesus has healed a blind man. Now Israel's religious leaders at the time, called the Pharisees, hold that man before them and his parents to interrogate and cross-examine him. They want to know again and again what has happened. Who is this Jesus? Is he evil? Is he breaking their laws? The man says he has no idea. All he knows is that he was blind and now he can see. They ask him again, how did he open your eyes? And the prisoner says, I have told you and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Comedy gold for the healed guy there. Do you want to become his disciples as well? Why are you cross-examining me? Are you trying to become part of this? As you can imagine, 
They were pretty annoyed at that. So the religious leaders are thrown into a rage and they hurl they the man out. And so he goes to find Jesus again. And he says that, and Jesus says to him, the blind will see and the seeing will become blind. That's what Jesus' response is. Now the Pharisees followed this healed man. Maybe they're hiding or still they're accosting the poor guy. But hearing that this whole thing about the blind will see and the seeing will be blind, they get really angry again and says, what, are we blind too? And this is where Jesus begins his story about the sheep who can hear his voice. He starts by saying, well, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But because you claim to see, your guilt remains. The story he then tells is about leaders and followers. That's the story we just heard. He says to the Pharisees, someone climbing into a sheep pen and not going by the gate is clearly a thief. And that means them. They are the thieves and the robbers. They are trying to lead Israel's people by their own means, their own brutal versions of the law, controlling people and oppressing them. Instead, Jesus says that those thieves, those evil leaders, just come to kill and destroy. By contrast, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and the gate. He comes to offer life and life in all its fullness. When the wolves come to attack the flock, he's not gonna run away like someone who was just paid to be there, but doesn't really care about the sheep, he says, I'll stay. I'll even lay down my life for the sheep, he says. Then he describes a picture of a diverse family, or I guess a diverse farm, where he begins, brings together sheep of different types and pastures and places and cares for them all as one. All these sheep, he says, will know him and he will know them. He lands this where he begins. All the sheep will know his voice. They don't follow a stranger because they don't know the, his, the intonations, his patterns of speech, the things he says, the timbre of his words. That's the place from which he leads them, how they know and hear his voice. So I come back to my first question. Whose voice do you trust? Whose voice or voices are you listening to? Now, I know a few people who have a panel of advisors that they go to when they have to make a decision. Now, this is sometimes maybe like a literal one. There's like maybe four people whose opinion they most trust. But sometimes it's just in their head. It's like a, almost like a board of trustees. What do they think when you come to a crisis point or a fork in the road? What do they want? What would they do? What would they say? Now, if you had a panel like that, maybe you do. Who's on it? Your mum? Your girlfriend? Your boyfriend? Your best friend? Your doctor? The TV scientist Brian Cox? Someone maybe from G2? An older sibling? A teacher or a professor that shaped your life? It's not a trick question. Tell the person next to you or the couple of people around you or just think about it. Who would be on your panel? Again, it doesn't have to be like, oh, four Jesuses. So have you got your panel? Have a think about it another time as well. Our big question though is where does the voice of Jesus fit in our lives? Is he on the panel at all? 
Would he be near it? Is he speaking to it? Do we know his voice? In order to do this, we're going to be starting also with John 1. So that's the beginning of the Gospel of John. Let's look at that as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. And let's jump to verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human, of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now words often have a life independent of us. They can change the way we think and live. And here God's word is being talked of as something that has arrived to us. And often throughout the scriptures, it's talked of as something that's outlasts everything. So Psalm 33 says, the, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Isaiah 40 said, God's word, word will last when people and plants wither and die. God's word is enshrined throughout the Torah. Now, at the time of when John was writing this, there were philosophies searching for the word. Now, it's not just words. The idea was it was a logos, that's just the principle, the centre of all things. The, the, the principle that would give life true meaning, maybe a principle of rationality. So Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, thought of the logos, the word, as reason and argument. And we get the basis of modern philosophy from there. He, in his idea, there was no, with no argument, there was no freedom. So for those philosophers, reason was connected to the basis of the structure of the world and of existence. And around again, around the same time uh, as Jesus was um, born, there was a, a scholarical fellow of Alexandria who bridged between this logos, this principle, and Jewish scripture. He said that it, God spoke through his creation. The organising principle of the world uh, was where God offered his wisdom. So in Job 28, it says, where does wisdom come from? And Philo Alexandria, I guess, would say, from the Logos, from God's creation. But John here, in the Gospel of John, is doing something new. He's pushing this language beyond what's normally possible. He's saying that Logos, the principle of the world, has become flesh. The Word made flesh and made his dwelling among us. God, the creator, the powerful principle at the centre of all things, has stepped down to us, has made the spoken, the Word, the words, knowable in human terms because they've become a person and everyone can get to know this word not just scholars or philosophers or writers and thinkers because Jesus is not just coming to a particular family or a place everyone can be born into this new family that Jesus is making this is the family of God this is the church all of us can have relationship with him it's not just the special family of the Israelites it's everyone and all of us can have connection and conversation with him not just in riddles and signs but face to face as it says in exodus like a friend jesus is offering here life for us through him going down to us and it's not simply answers it's not simply principles or arguments but it's relationship and let's stop just for a moment to dwell on that before we look start looking practically at what that might mean can can you believe that the creator of the universe wants to talk to you, to care for you. He's not like a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. 
He's not like a leader you can't trust. He's not like an argument you have to figure out. He's a person that you can meet and listen to and speak to. So when we're getting to know his voice, I want to start us there. How incredible is that? Now, many of you may not realize that Jesus is speaking to you in lots of different ways. My wife, Holly, was once asked by, I think, someone that was coming to G2 if everyone could hear God speaking audibly and they weren't just doing it right. And that maybe can be what it feels like when people talk about Jesus speaking. But that's not what we're talking about. And what we're talking about here specifically is how Jesus speaks to us through his word, through the words in the Bible, through his church and through the Holy Spirit. These are the foundations by which we can have conversation with him. So why is that the case? Why do those things matter? Well, one, I think that Jesus values community. He values the story of where we've come from. He exists in relationship. The Trinity is a relationship between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Two, what's written in the Bible is a story and identity that we can participate in. He cares about who we are and where we're going. And from the story of God, we can know that. And finally, I'd say that he values our imagination, our creative engagement. Our imaginations, our creative expression, they, we're talking about, I'm talking about art, music, dance, cooking, science, philosophy. These are valuable to God. And I think he's inviting us to collaborate with him in restoring our earth. And those things are a key part of that. These are the methods he uses to have relationship with us. Creativity, family, community, story. It's because we're made in his image. He is the creator. Have you not seen the stars? For example, the point of science, I think, is restoring that relationship between humans and nature. God can speak to us through that. So how do we begin the conversation using those tools that he's given us? Well, in John 10, as we said before, Jesus is telling the story of a shepherd and his sheep. He says that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice and therefore follow the shepherd. Knowing Jesus' voice is really important. In many ways, a life of following Jesus is a life of learning his voice. If we get his voice muddled up with others, we'll end up following them. If we mishear what he is saying or can get confused about it, we'll wander off or miss out on something of that fullness of life. If we mistake his words for meanness or punishment or close-mindedness, we'll stop listening. If we stop listening, we're not really getting to be a sheep at all. So where we as his people, where do we put this teaching into practice? How can we learn his voice? Well, I'd say start with reading his words and his word. Get that story, understand that story. We're gonna be unpacking more ways of how he talks to us and, and in the Gospel of John, what that looks like. But I'd say, in, just as to begin with, read the Gospel of John. Don't just listen to these talks or turn up on a Sunday, get into it. Let's get the fullness out of it. Because I think we should do, what I love about G2 is when it started, that it started in a gym. Because I think that says something about the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be people who are actually practicing this stuff. We, it's not, this isn't just coming to listen to a console, or coming to listen to someone speak on a video. It's more than that. We are a community who is active and learning together. Yes, some people might be running as fast as they physically can because they've had a lot of experience of it. Some people are just starting on small weights, but we all want to practice this stuff together. 
So I'd say read the Gospel of John, read it. You can, if you've never read any of that stuff before, if you've never encountered it before, talk to someone who maybe has. And I think that's the same principle with prayer. A little bit like in a gym, you want like, a personal trainer or a friend to help you along if you're just starting out. So if you want to have conversation with Jesus, if you want to get to know his voice, my main encouragement would be first reading the Bible, but then also talking to his church, talking to the people around you that can help you out with that, who can pray for you. If you don't know how to start the conversation or you feel like, oh, I don't know what's really going on here at all, ask someone for prayer. Be bold about it, message them. And what, you've got, what have you got to lose? Message someone in the church and talk to them about what it's like for them to pray. How do they know Jesus' voice? What is it like for them to read his word? And how do they put that into practice? How do they have conversation with him? And the final thing I'd say is talking to the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, being guided by him in creative expression is really powerful. So often we get limited by the idea that talking to Jesus or having conversation with him can only look a certain way. Maybe you've, so for example, okay, I get one from when I was a student. Um, I was praying in the kitchen whilst I was cooking. It was very rare for me to cook, but I was cooking at this point. Um, and again, I think that like process of creating something and talking to God, I think I can find that really powerful. And um, anyway, so I, was, I was just like praying out loud. And then my flatmate came in and she, and she opened the door and then panicked because she heard me praying and then shut the door and ran out again because she'd never experienced that before. And I, I talked to her later and I was like, why did you run away? I'm really sorry, it was a bit weird, but are you okay? And she, and she said to me, when I was growing up, my, when my grandma was praying, we weren't allowed to go near. We, it was like her special sanctuary place and kids weren't allowed to like kind of join in with it. It was like, it was like a kind of closed room. And so when she found me praying, she was like, she felt like a bro she'd broken in on something like private that she shouldn't be allowed to engage with. Um, and I think that's a real shame because I think prayer isn't only private. Yes, I think you should pray privately and talk to God. I think you should, I think, bear your heart to him, talk to him about what's on your mind, what your burdens are. You know, by prayer and petition, share your burdens with him. Don't worry about stuff, turn your worries into prayers. Yes, do it individually. But also I think creative expression, like art and music and philosophy and science, like I was talking about before, these are ways of us having conversation with God. Invite him into that process. And again, if you're like, well, I wouldn't know even where to start with that. Talk to people that do do it. There are people in G2 who I know paint and pray. We've got a massive, amazing canvas in our house by one of the members of G2 who was praying and worshiping and painting. Have a conversation with him that isn't limited to just the structures that you might think have to be religious. So I remind you of those things again. How do we have a conversation with Jesus? Look to his word in the Bible. Talk to his church and listen and speak, ask questions. And finally, be creative. Invite him in to your creativity. Through that, he can be speaking to you, guiding you, shaping you, because he's made you really well. He's made you in his image to create. I think in John 10 and in John 1, we start to get that foundational picture of Jesus as someone who has come to have conversation with us because he loves us. Let's start that conversation and let's start it now. Maybe you're in a watch party or maybe you're on your own. If you're on your own, I should invite you to start a conversation. Pray about what's on your heart. And if you're in a watch party, 
I'd ask you to pray with the other people around you. Let's start the conversation with Jesus as the church. And if you don't know what to say, look to his words. Go to that John 10 and ask for some of the things you find there. Life in all its fullness, for example. Ask for that. Talk to him about that. Talk to him about how you can become one of his sheep. What does it look like to do that? Ask him questions and see where through the guidance of the church, the guidance of scripture and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in creative expression especially, that you can have that talk, that conversation with Jesus that is a journey of faith that will last a lifetime.